0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. In each
1: programme we'll focus on a particular movie and we're going to talk about it, review it, discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up and the actors and directors involved.
0: And as always we're going to end our show with recommendations, further reading if you will, based on this week's film. The links are going to be as close or as tenuous and as extreme as we'd like them to be. Essentially it's just a chance for us to talk about things we like.
1: Good um we don't need to introduce ourselves really um he's rob he's good on technical stuff um as a result of being in the film business for years and now doing all sorts of things to do with um production and post-production in various media um and i'm sam and i teach and write about Literature and pop culture, not that there's a difference, but anyway, that's what I do.
0: Indeed. Sam, this week you, I think, in a continued effort to redeem yourself after The Lone Ranger, which is something (laughs) we're going to hang on you for quite a while yet, uh, you you chose a new film. I did,
1: yes, and I went with uh, the film Zodiac. Dear editor, this is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. He wants his code in the afternoon edition. Ray Smith, don't you have a cartoon to finish? The Zodiac Killer has come to San Francisco. Um, Zodiac is a 2007 David Fincher film. Um, David Fincher, director, we featured on the podcast before. Um, and it focuses on the true story of a manhunt for a killer in the late 1960s and predominantly 1970s in California. Um, there were two parallel investigations, Dave Toshi, played by Mark Ruffalo, um, and his partner Bill Armstrong at the San Francisco PD, and Robert Gays... that was wrong. And Robert Graysmith, who is Jake Gyllenhaal, or Gyllenhaal, however you say that, and I Paul go, Avery, go with G-Gillan Down, G-Gillan Hall, Down, Hall, yeah. Hall, fine, yes. Um Robert Avery Bob Avery? Paul Avery, Robert Down junior who's a cartoonist and a reporter respectively at the San Francisco Chronicle. It's a newspaper which is involved in the letters sent by the so called zodiac killer who is the killer in question. And that's about all you need in a way of setup.
0: Rob, your thoughts? Um, now, in the past, I have waxed lyrical about my love for David Fincher as director, and I think that if anyone follows David Fincher as director, this film was probably the start of what you'd call his of his modern movement. Certainly, and certainly, his his best work has been post Zodiac. This is a film in which he embraced digital filmmaking, and it's certainly that first the birth of this style that he used. I I've seen this film once before for the rewatch this week and I must say last time I wasn't massively impressed with it this time though it really grabbed me I don't know what's changed between now and then uh, but it really kind of grabbed me this time it is meandering in many ways um, the, the your protagonist shifts various points back and forth between the newspaper men and the reporters uh, into cut with these murders predominantly from the point of view of the victims Mm-hmm. But it really kind of this time it really felt like a, a brilliant film. It feels meandering, it feels baggy and loose, but in a good way, it feels like you kind of live in this world. I think it probably could have done with it being about 20 minutes shorter in places. Um, it is a long two hour, 40 minute film, but I think, I think the performances throughout were great. I think that, like with Social Network, which is the other film we've covered on, of the Finchers, the bit parts are, are, are top top draw basically, mm-hmm. you look at people like Brian Cox playing Melvin Belly you've got um, Chloe Savini you've got I, I Los Codes you've got all these great sort of bit parts, secondary characters, supporting actors mm. beneath the, sort of the top four shall we call them and they are all great, as to its legitimacy as a truthful p- telling of, of the events it's hard to speak to, I would say uh, there's a lot been made in America particularly about the Zinect killer and it's one of the great unsolved crimes of California. And it certainly, this film certainly sets out its stall as to who it thinks is the killer. Mm. Um, but for, a, for what could have been a very dry procedural, a very kind of labyrinthine plot and and kind of pulling together these threads that uh, put it together, it's brought along at a good pace and you're brought with it, I suppose. Hmm. Like you, you, like you could quite easily in, in lesser hands and lose the plot of this film lose the track of what they're going on hmm. and there are points where I'm I'm confused as to which suspect talking about I also that but I think it's done very very well Sam
1: Yes now this was my film as my film choice um, and one might expect to be a film that I would wax lyrically about um, in opposition to Rob sometimes. Um, And actually, I have to say that, like you, I saw it at the time. Um, Like you, this is the second time I've seen it. Um, And I appear to have gone in the opposite direction. I think I liked it more than you did first time round, and I liked it less this time (laughs) round. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, I just... Something we talked about with with foxcat Show a couple of weeks ago that um it's it's baggy and meandering, and if you get on board with it, then you would love the film, yes, and if you don't, then you're not really going to be taken by it. um and for me this this is one of these sadly um i I like. I liked several things about it. I like um, many of the performances were, were brilliant, as you said. In fact, I don't think there's one off-performance in this film, which is very rare in, in a film of, of this calibre, for there not to be just one thing where you think, hmm, maybe that mm. could be better, um, or maybe that actor could not have phoned in his lines. Yes. This is, this is a... So, yeah i'm in my in my um, negativity towards it i'm not disputing this is an exceptional bit of film making and a brilliant film um in terms of the acting talent involved um i like many of the references to um to other films that we get throughout this film um particularly uh, there's um the plot device centres around this film, The Most Dangerous Game. So uh, this this film becomes a particularly important film within this one. Um, I like the way that uh, lots of the, the killings were told, as you said, through the eyes of the victims. Um, and yet also you do get the perspective of the killer because you do get the killer phoning up the police department. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and the aftermath of many of the scenes will be soundtracked tra- sound by the killer. Um, yeah, there was just, just something about it. I wasn't quite grabbed by it in the way that I think I was last time I saw it. Um, in, and that might have been a product of seeing it in the cinema, of being sort of immersed in the experience in a way that I, I really wasn't watching it at home.
0: Well, that's something we discussed before, isn't it? The, the idea of watching a film at home is a very different experience to watching a film in the cinema. Mm, yeah. And I, I think it's very it's much easier to check out of a film at home because there's so many other things you can do. Whereas in cinema, you've kind of got to sit there and, and see it out, mm. unless it's really terrible and you have to leave. Yeah, but I've never done that yet. I must say, not
1: even there was one you were close to walking
0: out. There was there was one. That if I wasn't covering it for for a website, I would have left. Which was knock knock. Oh yes, the Keanu Reeves. Yeah, that one. um, And and my wife was watching it with. Did leave. She left me to it, Um, (laughs) and I don't blame her. It was awful. Um, But uh, I try not to walk out unless I have to. But I I see what you're saying. This is a film because it is meandering, and you do you do the the protagonist changes at various points in the film. It'd be very easy to just kind of just zone out at some point When, when, when it goes off somewhere else to not go with it if you see what I'm saying Mm. Yeah. so I I can totally see where you're coming from with that
1: another thing I liked and I mentioned already the film references in this but the way that several of the murders were presented as if they were staged Um, there was something I've I've written down here as a a nod to a sort of magician's pullback and reveal or a comedian's Stan- pull pullback and reveal. It's a, it's a standard trope among performers that you show one thing and then you subvert expectations and you do another thing. Um, and so you had the the killer with the couple by the lake and he shows them the gun and the guy says, was that even loaded? And he shows them and you think in releasing the clip and showing them he's actually had a change of heart and he's not gonna do anything with the gun. Hmm. And then it turns out he's not gonna do anything with gun, because he's gonna do something far more violent. Um, and the- so there was something nice about the way that the, the killings were staged as little plays within this greater I was, performance.
0: I will say along the lines to back that up, that it was notable from my point of view that sometimes the the, the the killing scenes were shot much more similar cinema- were shot much more cinematically. Hmm. The a uh, lot it, it was because of it was the first embrace of of digital filmmaking. A lot of it's very non cinematic Hollywood lighting. It's very kind of realistic lighting. Very hmm. there's no hero shots here with a lot with a lot of the actors. But you look at the the killing scenes, a lot of them are shot moodily, they're shot with interesting lighting. There's much more of a cinematic feel to the killings, Mm. as opposed to the rest of the film, which has not, drabs the wrong word, but much more of a realistic bent to its its camera work.
1: Yes, there was, I mean, this is, it's also important to say this is a period piece, although it's, it only goes back to the 1970s but it's still a yeah it's it's still a historical yeah. document and a lot of the um lot of the exterior shots it's particularly towards the beginning of the film to do with the investigation are very sort of as you say not necessarily drab but faithful color wise to their mm. their environment
0: I think it's also the, the um the newsroom that they work in. Like in, in a lesser film, that could have quite easily been a busy shouting newsroom, whereas that felt like yeah, like people would have sat around a lot and wrote things. And that,
1: that reminded me actually, just just as you said that, it reminded me of the um, the workplace in another film that we haven't talked about for about eight or nine months. It's the um, Rose upon Rose of Clark's in the apartment course when you have that huge room and um, mm. and there's something again or like like you said there's something realistic about it but also there's something very cinematic about that mm. um, That e- even in these these everyday scenes there is a cinematic bent to them I, w- I was thinking of also the the opening shot um, which is filmed from the inside of a car um and it it pans along, it's not it's not a pan, is it? It's a tracking shot. Yeah. Um of the outside of a number of houses. And um you just it I, I was just struck by how modern a cinematic device that was, how difficult it would be to get that shot if you weren't using well, as as Fincher was, was using the using state of the art cameras. Um, hmm. and that that sort of thing would not have worked without that, and yet you have this this very sixties slash seventies palette combined with these modern camera techniques and that that was really interesting it It felt like a modern film even though it was definitely not a modern setting
0: well i think there's it's almost that there is a kind of a meta commentary being done here by by Finger about seventies the seventies period and the um, sort of seventies movies because there's, there's a scene in which they go and see Dirty Harry, mm. um, and there's a scene in there's a one in which um, Toshi calls Gray Smith Dirty Harry, right in there, Dirty Harry.
1: Yes.
0: And to a lot of people, people I mentioned who didn't live in the seventies, weren't around then, that that is the cop of the seventies. Is Dirty Harry? It's Bullet. It's this. It's a street talking, wise cracking shoot first argument later cop of the 70s it's where men were men and everyone smoked and that, that 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 is the, the the cultural idea of what it was to be a cop in the 70s mm. and i think that fincher by putting those two bits in is very very carefully going well you think this but here actually here's a two hour film about how that isn't true mm.
1: yeah. you know
0: at no point in this film do the cops draw their guns no. There are no shootouts, there are no confrontations, there are no gun chases, there are no car chases, there's no explosions, there's no pithy one liners from anybody at any point. Mm. It very much goes, you know what, but, but including those two business films, if we presume that every choice being made in the film is made for a reason, including those has for a reason, and it's got to be that comparison between what we're seeing and what as a society. We see, and whether those are, our idea of a seventies cop comes from seventies films, or the I don't know, postmodernist take on those seventies films, the idea of the, the cultural zeitgeist around them is a, is a whole other question. But I think this film is doing is is purposely trying to make not it dull, but trying to make it, make it make it make it a contrast, a juxtaposition between what we're seeing day to day and the cop on screen, particularly in the character of, of Toshi Toshi, Toshi? Toshi, yeah. Toshi. In which he is he is anything but forward about it.
1: Mm.
0: You know, like the, the, the M and Graysmith goes, here's all everything and he's like, that's brilliant. You have no evidence.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, in a lesser film you're like, right, let's go and get this guy. But there's none of that. It's just you need evidence. You need to do it by the book. You need to get everything together.
1: Hmm. So in many ways, this film is about reality. This film is, I mean, all the way through. This you have, where whereas, from you have a line of cops from or investigators from Philip Marlowe through to Dirty Harry, who were all in some way troubled. They were, the hardball detective is conventionally an outsider in some way, whether he's yeah. a He's a lone wolf, or he has problems at home, or whatever. But throughout this, you know that Dave Toshy is happily married with three kids. Yes, always, and that there's there's never any problem with his marriage. In fact, the one of the few times you see a relationship between a, a conversation between him and his wife is when Greatsmith comes to his home, and Toshy says, "I'm going to kill him because he's disturbed this family environment." So, family is is the reality. of family is is what Toshi is all about.
0: And I think there's a nice counterpart to that in Graysmith's family. His wife leaves him with the kids, and there's a scene in which he's he's kind of converted his house into like a a paranoid wet dream where there's posters everywhere and there's like piles of paper and that kind of thing. But she comes round to give him a a some scans or something, a, a, a driver's lessons, and there's actually no reason for to have her do that beyond it to be the incursion of reality mm. that he's yeah. lost in this you know jfk-esque conspiracy theory of his and there could have been every intention to portray him as this lone genius railing against the injustice of the world but he's also portrayed as this like selfish man who abandoned his family and they left him Mm. And having her bring that round is that incursion again of reality as you say reality incurring on this narrative and a subversion of what we think of as a film narrative being rammed up against the idea of reality
1: yeah and you you see that disintegration of Robert Graysmith when he goes sort of as you said uh, he sort of posters on, posts on the wall and paper everywhere and goes a bit mad Yeah, and you have that um, and it is parallel with the disintegration of Paul Avery, and you see him in a darkened room and drinking in his underpants. And the film makes you think that actually there's not a lot of difference between these two. Both of these two have fallen apart. Yes. Um, and it's it's her, it's the incursion, I like say, of his wife into that environment that reminds you that actually, Grace Smith is just as He's, he's lost it just as much as
0: Paul Avery has. I think that that, that that kind of slow destruction of the character is important. But I, I mean, think it's important for every character. That, that this film, I suppose, kind of lacks heroes mm. in a very interesting way. In that you've got, you know, Graysmith, who's kind of dogged, but clearly flawed in many ways. Toshi, who obviously sort of worked hard at it, but at a certain point has kind of given up. His partner quit to go work on uh, the fraud desk. Uh, Paul Avery quit and kind of dropped out. The all the four protagonists, none of them are heroic. None of them are, you know, the, the ball busting dirty Harry characters that they're trying to dirty, dirty Harry characters. That they are uh, we're supposed to believe it. They are, it's very much a sort of a takedown of that, that idea.
1: Mm. Yeah. And even, and you have, with with that showing of Dirty Harry, and also you said, well, quoting um, Clint Eastwood and Toshi saying, easy, easy Dirty Harry. Um, so throughout you've got that parallel, but even the, um, the Zodiac killer is set up in opposition to the policeman like the Scorpio character is in Dirty Harry. So mm-hmm. you're made to think, well, this... Investigation needs a resolution like the Dirty Harry one, like the Scorpio one, but it doesn't get it because this is reality. This is how things work,
0: and I, I think that's where the, once again the incursion of reality—that this is a true story—and whilst mm. we're seeing fictionalised events around that true story. You know, there are a whole article about how certain things didn't happen then all they did. Some people didn't meet all that kind of. Every so sort of, book to screen story takes some changes, but we are seeing a real story take place. There isn't going to be a tidy resolution to this, mm. and that's one of the enduring allures of the Zodiac case, especially in America, that there isn't a straight answer. You know that that the lead suspect, as as this film portrays, died of a heart attack and there's no resolution
1: there's something in there this is a very rare film because of that um and i wonder whether it may be something peculiar to the american psyche or maybe the western psyche in general that we need resolution and certainly nowadays people expect there to be answers you expect there to be an outcome to an investigation um and in, in many arenas, that's a really good thing, and pushing police to come to decisions. And I'm I'm just thinking about a, a this American Life podcast I was listening to today about um, investigations of sexual assault in America and how um, the the resolution nowadays came. It, it, it's it's much more likely for a resolution to happen than for the Police officers say, "Well, we don't believe you. We don't believe that happened. We're going to brush it under the carpet." So there is this idea that we're moving towards resolution nowadays, and I wonder whether, I mean, this is a, this is something central to us that, and by us I mean Westerners, that that this film is physically important in saying, "Look, resolution does not always happen, and we know you like it, and we know you crave it." but real life does not happen like that.
0: Hmm. It hangs its, its 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 case on truth at a certain point in the real world.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so whether, whether or not this is, as you say, whether or not certain facts in this are to be disputed, the, the ultimate thread of this film is reality, is truth, is the idea that there is no easy resolution.
0: Hmm. I, I I would agree entirely
1: um, So Rob what do you reckon in the way of recommendations
0: for this week? So I, I've gone two recommendations this time um, the first is a very, a very thematic re, um, recommendation which is All the President's Men from 1976 All the President's Men is the story of Watergate of the Washington Post reporters Bob Woodard and Carl Bernstein who uncovered the scandal uh, and them doing the story around it it is very much in the same style it has that same kind of it isn't about flashy men with guns it isn't about explosions it's about, about doggedness and sticking with the story to the end and it's also a brilliant film 1976, All Presidents of Men it's a classic for a reason yeah it's kind of walk us that already right. secondly um and this is it's a very it's a very easy nomination to follow David fincher um and I, I did say that this was the birth of his modernist movement but that isn't to say that the previous work wasn't worth checking out it includes general like Fight club but the one I wanted to recommend and I, I, I may have written this prior to this week I can't remember I have is a 1997 film the game starring Michael Douglas. It's about a very rich man played by Michael Douglas whose brother buys him an experience that turns out to be far more than he thought it was. Um there it's very twisty turny, it's kind of fight clubby in its kind of you're not sure what's going on a lot of the time. Um but it's well plotted, it's well acted, and it's beautifully shot. Um and I think it's one of Fincher's films that's often forgotten. So uh, the game seven. Really? Sam, yours.
1: Um, yes, well, the first one was a bit ridiculous, um, so i I don't have to go with that because another one has, has come to me. Um, and there is a link with David Fincher. David Fincher is an exec producer on this. Um, and um, another exec producer is the star, uh, is Kevin Spacey. Um, and we don't much talk about things that are not films on this podcast but I would like to give a shout out to House of Cards which we've just started watching the fourth series of and it is very rare that the fourth series of a show will be as good as the first Mm. Um, in general you get a drop off after the first two, maybe even the first one um, and House of Cards is uniformly brilliant um, and it's still really good in the middle of the fourth series so I would go for that one um, and my second one is a similarly I suppose tonally it's quite similar to Zodiac um, it's another film that harks back to an age I suppose it's a historical document although a more more recent one, like Zodiac, is the similarly retro Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Uh, not just as tonal link, but also there is the same sort of unfinished air to the end of it. I mean, there there is a resolution to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but it's not it's not an entirely satisfactory one. Um, so I I would give Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy as my recommendation.
0: Brilliant. I do feel that if we if were to watch back our uh, episode on the social network, also feature Film, we'd probably recommended the game and House of Cards, then I feel. It, yes, but I can't remember. I feel, I feel both of those were clear before. Um, but uh, yeah. I, hey, I,
1: hang, hang on, I have a list of them here. You can edit it together so we know look like we were talking about. You talked about the game, but I didn't mention House of Cards. Ah, uh, fair enough. About- the Damned
0: United instead. Fair enough. Right Fair enough. then. Next week, Rob, it's your choice. It is. And and having had a few serious weeks, I think it's time to bring some fun back to the podcast. Uh, You're
1: going to make
0: me watch The Lone Ranger again, are you? <laughs> I said fun, sir. So oh, fun. yeah, fun, fun. Did that seem like fun? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to um, recommend... I'm, I'm going to watch... Go for 2006... I'm going to go for the 2006 film from Mike Judge, *Idiocracy*, and it is this tale of an average American thrown forward in time um, to discover a very different America to the one he left behind. So, yeah, I think we'll have some interesting things to talk about from that one. Good. Um, But yeah, if you want to find us, you can find us both on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find just
1: me at life underscore academic.
0: And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju.
1: Brilliant. And please do remember to um, give us a review or a shout out or a rating or whatever you'd like to do on um, iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, however you listen to this. It really helps.
0: Brilliant, guys. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.